Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, uh, for Julie and Steve coming. And Lord, we do pray your blessing over them and their extended family, that you might use them to glorify yourself. You might show yourself powerful through them, that you might make the weak into strong, and that those that don't know you may stand for you. Thank you, Lord, for them coming and speaking this morning. And Lord, as I bring the word this morning, grant me wisdom, Lord, what to speak and what to say. Lord, you are worthy of praise and honor and glory. You are the one who has made us and fashioned us. And Lord, because you are so kind and so gracious, you place your spirit within us that we might know you better. You grant us your word that we may see clearly what you say and you open it up bit by bit that we may not stumble too far in misunderstanding. But Lord, you open it up and we're patient that we might know you better and draw closer to you. And you grant us prayer that we might be able to talk with you and commune you. So Lord, this morning, I, I'm just praying that you might show me what to say and speak that people might understand that I might not go too fast as always, that uh, it might be clear and it might be explained well. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and for you be the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as always, uh, I will probably be having you hop all over the scriptures. So bear with me. And some of them, uh, just due to time, I'll try to, not Julie's fault, don't take that personally, Julie. Uh, I made it way too long to begin with. Uh, but I'll try to abbreviate some portions of it, but I don't want to lose the context of it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to start off there. And I'm going to read this in part. We'll read it later on for communion. But this is what Pastor Barney asked me, maybe lead us into communion. And I pondered it and prayed about it. And uh, this is what the Lord showed me. So verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we come, into the, come to the communion table this morning, what we read right there and what we'll read later on, we have read this, I mean, come to the church 20 years and, and probably, except for some COVID time, we have heard this scripture read over and over and over. It's not bad because it's scripture, but we've heard it every month. But the portion that, that, that struck me as I was reading it this week and as I was, as I was actually pondering another scripture this past, past month or so is the word, notice Jesus says twice, do this in remembrance of me. This word remembrance is not new. But at the same time, I, I want to take a little sidestep before we get knee deep into remembrance to also understand that Jesus, when he was talking who was talking? Who, who was the one giving him these words? I just want to take a moment this way, have the context of John chapter 12. And some of these verses are just one or two, so if you want to follow me, that's fine. If not, I'll, I'm going to read them anyway in, in, in their entirety. So John 12, 49 says, For I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. He has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And sometimes we need to sit and really sort of ponder that and understand that Jesus is not just 
throwing out words there that sound really deep and really fancy, and we're supposed to say, wow, that was really neat. He's giving us facts. He is giving us facts as to what he is doing during his time on earth. He was even more clear with Philip in chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse 10. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not, to come to know, have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. This is about as an explicit statement as you can have from Jesus that he is completely and totally about the will of God. That the very works of God, part of them are the words that he is saying to us. And I'm saying this because Jesus had said earlier, when I'd read, actually later, but earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance is, is giving things as a reminder, something it is something the Father has been doing from the beginning. The Father has been giving remembrances since the early scriptures. In fact, the word remember is given 137 times in all contexts in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, it's used 10 times alone within that book, seven of those specifically talking about God taking his people from the land of Egypt by his powerful hand. Seven times just speaking about that specifically. So as I'm talking, head over to Exodus chapter 12. So if God is willing to take seven times in Deuteronomy speak, to speak specifically about the Lord taking them out of Egypt by his hand, that they might, be, might remember, then we've got to be able to understand and remember what the Passover was. And we'll tie all this, Lord willing, to get together at the end. I want to go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 42, and talking about the Passover. Because all these remembrances started off with the Passover. When he started really saying, remember, 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 remember. I've looked them all up on, on the computer, and, and this is where it starts off. And it says in verse 42 of chapter 12, it is a night to be observed for the Lord, for having brought them out of the land of Egypt, this night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. And later, and so already he has said this is supposed to go on long term. Both verses 3 and 4 in this chapter, along with verse 46, mention it is, it is a lamb to be killed by a household, by the members of the household, and if need be, depending on the number within the household. But immediately after the Passover follows the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as we saw earlier when we read, and also the, uh, excuse me, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Consecration of the Firstborn. I want to read chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. And as I'm reading, I'd like you to, to, to pick out or pull out when the Lord is talking about something that should be remembered or something that should be remembered, period. So chapter 13, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the firstborn of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast that belongs to me. 
Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by, for, a, for by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. On this day in the month of Abib, you are about to go forth. It shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hivite, the Amorite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall observe this rite in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten through the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders. You shall tell your son in that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall, be, and it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand, and as a reminder on your forehead, that the law of the Lord may be in, in your mouth. For with a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. Now, the Lord bring, now when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and gives it to you, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb, and the first offspring of every beast that you own, the males belong to the Lord. But every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It shall come about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both firstborn of man and firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead, for the powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So immediately following the Passover, the Lord gave Moses these directions for the consecration of the firstborn and the seven days of eating unleavened bread. As a remembrance for them, leaving in haste from Egypt. And you heard in Exodus 13, as I read, the words of remembrance given by God. Remember this day. You shall observe this right. You shall tell your son. And notice also the change in tense. You do it now, do it later, do it later again. This is what the Lord did for me. And the Lord brought you out of Egypt to then later with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Both of these acts were to be a remembrance that would be like placing a sign on your hand and phylacteries on your forehead. Acts of remembrance to remind them what the Lord had done in bringing them out of Egypt. Again, like, so that whenever they looked at their hand or they looked in a mirror, this act would be like that. They would remember constantly what the Lord has done in the Passover. Later on, after the building of the tabernacle and in the making of the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron and his sons becoming the priest, the Lord narrowed down this scope of, of yes, have the Passover, yes, the unleavened bread, yes, these sacrifices, 
But he now says in Leviticus 17, you're no longer allowed, allowed to sacrifice them anywhere but at the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. This is now in the desert. Leviticus 17 says, uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but it goes through in verses 3 through 7 that anyone who sacrifices or, or kills an animal unto the Lord outside of the camp would be guilty of blood guiltiness. And he says at the end of this, they shall no longer offer their sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. There shall be a permanent statute to them for all generations. The Lord equates the allowance of sacrificing anywhere to the fact that now they had the freedom to do what they wanted and their tendency was to sacrifice to other gods or demons outside the camp. So now they could only sacrifice in the tabernacle. However, note that for sin offerings for bulls and goats, these were to be sacrificed at the tabernacle, but the body, the skin, and the refuge was to be thrown outside the camp and burned. That's something we'll note later on. In Leviticus 23, the same Passover celebration, along with others such as the Unleavened Bread, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Booth, are now named as Holy Convocations, or Solemn Assemblies, meant for the gathering of the people to worship and sacrifice as a congregation. Now, others were also made Holy Convocations, such as the Sabbath, where people are allowed to stay at home. But those were the sacrifices at the temple Everyone was now to come together. You can see the Lord continues to mold and shape the sacrifices and the festivals to the way he wants them. This is followed by, and then the rest of chapter 23 in Leviticus goes through all the festivals that are now holy convocations. But then as we enter Deuteronomy, we see a people now who's 40 years of wandering, in the, they're almost done with their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. The Lord is going to count through Deuteronomy past events. He's going to recount to them the Ten Commandments. But the Lord is also going to repeatedly warn the Israelites not to follow the example of the peoples around them. And one thing I want to know in Deuteronomy chapter 9, as, they, as they're coming out of the, of the wilderness, getting ready to cross the Jordan, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, he goes through, and he didn't, again, for, for time purposes, I'm going to summarize, but I, like, I invite you to read verses 1 through 9. He tells them, it's not because of your righteousness. In fact, he says this three times in verses 1 through 8. It's not because of your righteousness you're going to get the promised land. He says it's because of the evilness of the people that are within the land. It's because of their wickedness I'm kicking them out. I'm fulfilling the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and, jo and Jacob, and I'm kicking them out. But you are not the righteous ones. In fact, he says in verse 7 at the end of this portion, he says, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. So even as they're about to enter the promised land and they're getting ready to do this amazing thing that the Lord has promised them and they're waiting for, the Lord says, this is not about you. You have been rebellious this entire time against me. And yet, even though they have been rebellious and sinful, the Lord grants them what they do not deserve. Knowing the actions of these people, staying within Deuteronomy, knowing the actions of these people that they're dispossessing, 
and the Israelites' tendency to fall away to the sin of the nations around them, the Lord gives more specifics in Deuteronomy 12 concerning his worship. In Deuteronomy 12, 2 through 18, he says four times that now going forward, when you go in the promised land, and it's going to be later when the Lord finally establishes it, but he says, you shall seek the Lord your God at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all the tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. And then through all of Deuteronomy 12, 2 through 18, he then tells them all the offerings now. Now it's not, now it's not the tabernacle in the wilderness. It's not the tent of meeting. But now that he's going to have a nation, yet they need to come to the, the temple, the place where the Lord puts his name, and that is the only place they are now to sacrifice. So he restricts it even more because now they're going to have an entire nation. And in fact, he speaks of the Passover in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy. And I will read that. Deuteronomy 16, and I'll read for you verses 1 through 12. And it will envelop a little bit more of the Feast of Weeks as well. Chapter 16, verse 1. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. In the month of Abib, the Lord your God will bring you out of Egypt by night. You shall sacrifice a Passover to the Lord your God from the flock of the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. So you may remember all the days of your life, the, days, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. For seven days no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. And none of the flesh which you sacrifice on the evening of the first day shall remain overnight until morning. You are not allowed to sacrifice a Passover in any of your towns which the Lord your God has given you, but at the place which the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. You shall sacrifice a Passover at the evening at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt. You shall cook and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. In the morning you are returned to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day you shall be, there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God, and shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. You shall begin to count seven weeks from the time you began to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a freewill offering of your hand, which you shall give just as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levi who is in your town and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your midst in the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Again, the Lord says, in the place where he places his name, that's where you are to remember. And you are to only bring your sacrifice there amongst all the nation he is going to give you. So it should be no surprise as Joshua now goes in the promised land and crosses the Jordan with the Israelites, that one of the first things he does is celebrates the Passover to remember where they've come from. But it should be of note that after they did this, 
that Joshua had to circumcise all of the children of Israel that were born after leaving Egypt. Why? Because they had forgotten already the Abrahamic covenant. They already, the thing they held on to in Egypt, once they had freedom, had stopped doing that which they had done for centuries. And now they had to be sacrificed, they had to be circumcised again before going in to the promised land. What is circumcision? It's the, the, the sign of the covenant with Abraham. It was their national identity as children of Abraham. And yet Joshua had to circumcise all the kids born since that time they left Egypt. I'm saying this as the Passover, God's reminder of the redeeming of his people of Egypt. Let me back up. If they forgot that in 40 years, when you look at the Passover now, the remembrance of God taking his people out of Egypt by, that, by their hand is, is mentioned now in Joshua chapter 5. The Passover now will not be mentioned by name again for 715 years in the Old Testament. You will not see it again until the time of Hezekiah. Does this mean that it wasn't performed? Absolutely not. But it wasn't that important that you see it constantly mentioned in centuries of kingship. 715 years of both north and southern kingdoms. It wasn't until Hezekiah and the downfall of Judea or the, or the downward slide. Hezekiah was the first one mentioned. And then after that would be Josiah when he had his celebration of Passover. In fact, Hezekiah, it was so important to that national identity as by the time Hezekiah became king, the northern kingdom had already been destroyed. This celebration of Passover was so important that he actually wrote letters to the northern kingdom, the remnant of the peoples that had not been taken to Assyria. He sent letters, and most of the people of the northern kingdom, the remnant, scorned the message carriers. Only a handful of three tribes Humble, the, the scripture says, humbled themselves and came all the way to Jerusalem and celebrated the Passover. In fact, the, if you read Hezekiah's letter to him, he says that the Lord would show mercy to you. He pleads with them that they might take them, that the Lord might take them back if they would just come and humble themselves. And yet most of them did not. The next time with Josiah, his heart was such that it says there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any arise after him. Why do we look at all this? Because remembrance, you see how, how passionate Josiah and, and Hezekiah did this. On the downward slide of this country, in fact, it'd be 35 years after Josiah celebrated the Passover that Judah would be no more. 35 years. Passover was their identity. It was their remembrance of what God had done. And it was so important for them to remember what God had done in Egypt that Hezekiah invited everybody to come to remember the Lord and his mercies. Josiah celebrated and said, like no other king before him, since Saul the prophet, not Saul, Samuel the prophet. In fact, it says, it says that in... Um, Uh, I wrote it down. There it is, 2 Chronicles 35, 18. There had not been celebrated a Passover like it in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. 
nor had any of the kings of Israel celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests, the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It was never mentioned during the rest of the kings. Maybe because it had become rote. So again, why do we look at this? Because remembrance has always been part of God's plan. When we, and remember, we started back looking at Jesus' words and Jesus saying that nothing he said was not what God had given him to say. That the works he said were part of the works of God. And he said specifically twice, do this in remembrance of me. Because that's how God works. When people, when a people don't remember, they lose their identity. We remember because we have the Holy Spirit within us and at his direction. And because it's commanded by Jesus, our Savior in the scriptures, we have communion to remember him. God's Lamb of God. God's Passover lamb for us. But keep in mind something we mentioned earlier. If Jesus is the Passover lamb, if he is the spotless lamb of God, if he is the one foreshadowed in the Passover lamb, if God's law states that all the sacrifices must be done at the temple, what about Jesus? Let's head over to Hebrews chapter 13. It says in Hebrews 13, and this is a Jewish person writing to Jews. I think that's important for the context. It says in verse 10 of Hebrews 13, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. He's saying that believers have an altar from which the priests and the Pharisees and Sadducees, those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Jesus was that sin offering. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin imputed upon him. He paid for our trespasses. He bore our trespasses upon himself. As Isaiah 54.12 says, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. That's me, that's you. We are the transgressors. So before, before I close, first, do you have an understanding of everything? You may not understand every single thing I've gone through, but do you understand that Jesus Christ died for your sin. Do you understand as you're sitting there, no matter how long you've sat in a pew, do you understand, have accepted that Jesus Christ paid and entirely for your sin as Jesus, as God's sin offering for you? That he died outside the camp for you to cover your sin. 
Understand also that today and not even this afternoon is promised to you. The Lord could claim your soul today. We all know somebody who did not expect to die. As the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, behold, now is the acceptable time. Today is a day of salvation. I would beg you not wait any longer to accept Christ as Savior. But for those of, those of us who do know Jesus and are here to worship in obedience to the word of God, today we're going to take partake in the cup and the bread. And my question to you today is, what are you remembering? As Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What are you remembering? I would ask you, do not take this cup and bread as rote repetition. As you pick up the cup, understand since the first Passover, you are holding 3,500 years of history and God's redemptive plan behind that cup. It is nothing but juice. But what God has done for you in 3,500 years, please do not take the cup lightly today. Let's close in prayer.